Welcome to Mission Daily. This is producer Rachel Kanya. Today, Chad sits down with Jay Fulcher, CEO and chairman of Zenefits. Zenefits offers cloud-based software as a service for companies to better manage their human resources. They have been one of the fastest growing companies in America, creating a valuation of $4.5 billion in just six short years since they were founded. Jay was the perfect candidate to step in as CEO. He has an extensive track record for bringing in great returns for the companies he has served, ranging from Uyala to Agile Software. Because of his proven track record, Jay continues to serve as an advisor for other startups looking to break into the industry. On this episode of Mission Daily, Jay shares the guiding principle he looks for in a company he chooses to be a part of, the importance of being committed to a growth mindset, and how to build a company that is resilient. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. Jay, how are you doing? I'm good, Chad. How are you? I'm excited to be here. Uh, it's a great day in San Francisco. Where'd you drive in from? Are you based in the city? I am. I've got a I've got a place here in the city close by to work, which is really convenient. Very cool. Do you uh, prefer to walk, drive? What's your... Uh... I walk. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I'm really close by, so it's, it's a good chance to get a little fresh air on my way in as long as there's not too much smoke from the wildfires. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Have you been in California long? I have. I'm a native. Okay. Yeah. I was born and raised here in Northern California and um, I've had an opportunity to live and work pretty much all over the world. Sure. But I can't find a better place to live than here. And obviously, you know, if you're, if you're in the tech space, it's really fun to be here because the convergence of what's possible here in the Valley is still pretty unparalleled. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned uh, traveling the world. I'd love to start there. So, you know, what was your first job and uh, how did you, you know, branch out to this like global business mindset and, uh, you know, gain all these experiences. Yeah. I mean, you know, at this point, I, I guess I'm going back a ways, um, in terms of my first job, but, you know, I, I, I got out of college and I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to go do, which is, I think a pretty common refrain, you know, I have four kids and, and they've all gone through that process as well, trying to figure out what's next. And, um, in my case, I actually talked my way into my first tech job. It was a company called Altos Computer Systems. And interestingly enough, one of the CEOs in those early days was Ron Conway, the now very illustrious investor and a guy that um, I've, I've known and who's invested in a lot of my companies over the years and is also an investor in Zenefits. And um, I basically got out of school and, and there was a, a job posting to run their tech support line. And I did not have a computer science degree. I had a business degree. And um, I went in there and basically talked my way into saying, yeah, no, I think I can help run this small support group. And fast forwarding the story within the first year or so, I, I got a call from the CEO who I never interacted with. And it wasn't Ron at the time who said, hey, can you come see me? And I thought, God, what did I screw up? I, you know, what mistake have I made? And I uh, went and saw him and he said, you know, so describe to me what you're doing. I said, well, we're taking, you know, tech support calls and we're helping people figure out Unix and how to, how to you know, troubleshoot problems with the software and whatever else. And at this time, we were selling sort of these verti- vertically integrated hardware and software combined solutions for certain industries. And he said, yeah, but, you know, you guys are, you guys are selling a fair amount of new software. And I said, well... You know, when we have them on the line and we're solving their problems for them, it seems like a natural time to kind of talk about some of the new things that we're launching and new opportunities and whatever else. And of course, today, that's just a totally common thing um, that companies do. But in those days, it was relatively novel. And in fact, my little team, none of none of whom were trained salespeople, uh, were now selling more software than 
many parts of the sales organization around the around the country and around the world for that little company. And so it was one of those moments for me, at least, where it was kind of like this aha moment that I, I, I recognized, you know, if you can solve problems for customers and if you have them at one of these vulnerable moments where they need your help, that's also an interesting time to be able to make sure that not only do you solve the issue, but you potentially even deepen the relationship further with how they might rely on you beyond what they originally had intended to. And so we had some good success with that. And that was really the start for me. You know, I, I quickly actually got moved out of that into an actual sales job. And then, you know, I was really fortunate. I, I was number one in the world in, in their sales organization before I left to start a series of, of sort of sales and sales management and sales and marketing management jobs. Uh, from there. So that's how I broke into the business. Congrats. And um, so selfishly, I, I have to ask, you know, was that just a point in your career where you needed a new challenge and wanted to branch out? Because I'm always wondering, you know, how do you retain top sales talent? It's, yeah. it's not it's not easy. So um, what was your mindset like then? And how did you think, what was that calculus like? You to know, make there, the next there's jump? a consistent thread for me in my career. And I actually, I, I have a belief system that says this is actually true for everybody. I think learning's at the root of all of it. I think I think it's just so important to be in an environment where you feel stretched and and where you feel like you're learning new things and where you know in some ways uh, what you're being challenged by kind of matches your ambition for what you want to be a part of and what you think you can contribute to whatever to whatever company you're working for, and so for me that's kind of been the guiding principle I think uh, around what's caused me to think about moving from place to place. Uh, I have not moved around a lot on average. And one of the, one of the things I get concerned about sometimes I do a lot of interviewing as you might expect. And and so I see a lot of people in these, these situations where somebody's had, you know, five or six jobs in 10 years. It's just, that's a lot of moving around. And, and, and in some ways I worry that if you don't develop the ability to have some level of grit and resilience in in what you're involved in, things are not always going to be up and to the right. Even in companies that are slaying it, it's just not always going to be perfect or great. And I think all of us have to learn how to be resilient in those situations and take from them what you can and that you can apply to your career and to your own development. But at the same time, not necessarily just decide that, man, when it gets when it gets rough, I'm going to move on. And so anyway, I think when I have felt like I've exhausted uh, the opportunity that's in front of me and where maybe I'm working with or working for people that I feel like I, I just can't really get a lot more new stuff out of this experience, that's been the time where I've started to figure out, you know, what's next for me. Sure. And uh, thanks for sharing that. That's uh, excellent advice there. Jay, when you first were in school or when you were young, did you have that passion for learning? Did you have a passion for traditional education? You know, I see you studied economics. Um, What was school like for you? I I was I was a good student. You know, I was I was a a really frustrated football player. I I tried to play quarterback in Division One college football and, and I had a reasonably good high school experience. And I, I just thought that naturally translated. I had an older brother that had a lot of success in college, played at Oklahoma, and then and then went on to play in the NFL a little bit. And uh, being younger, uh, all younger brothers are, are prepared to run right over their older <laughs> brothers. And I, I thought for sure that's what I was going to happen with me in my career. And really what I discovered was he was a really good athlete. And, and I, I the, playing quarterback in a 
Division One program is is just not a simple thing, and I, I just I, I really struggle with that. And I tell that story mostly to say, thank God I was a pretty good student. So um, I, I loved school. I, I I actually really enjoyed the process of learning. I was raised by a history teacher, and uh, he was a guy that uh, taught all over the world, and in many ways had assignments to teach in a variety of different locations around the world. And since I was eight years old, he was taking me with him. Oh, wow. It was a huge gift. I mean, I just, I cannot say enough to my dad about what he did for me because I had this opportunity to sort of see the world at a really young age and to understand just all the multicultural, multi, just such the, you know, such a rich, rich tapestry of stuff that goes on around the world that you're not exposed to if you don't get out and travel and see it. So by the time I was, by the time I was 12 or 13 years old, I'd been to 50 countries. Wow. Yeah. And so that was a really cool experience. And I think to this day, it's, it's just been a big advantage for me because, um, you know, for the last 20 years, I've been running companies that for the most part are global businesses that have employees all over the world that come from a variety of different backgrounds. And that's an environment that I'm really comfortable with. And frankly, that I think just makes for a more interesting work environment. I'm curious to know as well, you know, that relationship with your brother, it seems like a very inspiring one, right? Where he's, yeah. uh, he's going out and he's not aiming small, like he's, yeah. he's getting into the NFL. Yeah. Um, what was that like? And, uh, you know, any, any more details you could share about your family in terms well, for of like, sure. yeah, yeah, how, to, how are you all collaborating? And uh, I, I'm the youngest of four children. And, and so I'm the baby. Um, and, and funny enough, you know, I think r r whether you're in your, you know, 20s or 30s or whether you're in your 40s or 50s, you're still the baby <laughs> as far as they're concerned. And I'm, I'm really tight with, with, with all of my family. And, and my older brother's, you know, he's probably my best friend. You know, he's just a great guy. He's, he's such a good family guy. Uh, he's been a great role model for me. So it's been really cool to have that relationship. But when we were young and when, you know, I'm, I'm uh, nine years younger than he is. So watching him, you know, as a 13 or 14 year old where he's 21 or 22 years of age and living the life and going to bowl games and sure. you know having all kinds of of especially athletic success it was it was really surreal i mean i just i ate it up it was awesome but it was also very inspiring you know it was yeah. around i i could see all the the preparation and the dedication that it required on his part to put himself in that position and um what a cool thing i as i tell people all the time what a gift you know, to, to be able to watch that as a young person and realize, okay, so, you know, if you want to go make a difference, you know, it, it, there's no shortcut, there's no growth hack yeah. to, to getting there. You're going to have to, you're going to have to put in the work. So um, to this day, he, he's still a, in many ways, kind of a mentor and, and somebody that I go to for advice and guidance. We together run a little bit of a horse ranch now. We both have adjoining properties and um, we're in partnership with a couple of local ranchers where we where we raise quarter horses every year. And so it's a really cool way for the two of us as brothers to find something to work on together and to basically find ways to spend time together. And of course, it allows our families to come together regularly throughout the year, either around holidays or whatever. And, um, and so, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Very cool. And uh, when you got back to the States after traveling and everything, and you start to get into business, did you notice, or did you have a hard time relating with others who maybe hadn't traveled the world? Or did you have to maybe adjust your communication style based on, because your, your experiences were probably very diverse than many peers in business or? I think that's true. I mean, I think the average American tech executive for sure 
has not lived and worked overseas in a variety of locations. And, you know, I've been lucky in that I've worked for, for companies not only that had uh, operations all over the place, but where, you know, I had uh, assignments that, that kind of took me to these various locations and that sort of thing. And so what I learned was a lot of times, you know, the, the job candidates that we were talking to who had limited experience outside the U.S. sometimes weren't the best choices for figuring out how do you assimilate teams from a variety of different locations. You know, in the early part of my career, there was very much a centralized strategy around how you sort of put employees in one location, and it was kind of command and control. Today, it's very different, right? We have distributed work teams all over the place, and it's instead of it being command and control, it's a very autonomous kind of an environment where you you attempt to try to connect people through play and purpose and potential and all of the all of the things that we're sort of galvanized by in terms of what our mission is um, but it's not it's not intent at least my style and strategy is not to uh, to do that through really strict and rigid processes and control dynamics you know that that gets the result we're looking for because I find that it's the employees that are really, really inspired by what we're trying to achieve and where they understand kind of the guardrails in which we're going to operate. They're the ones that that come up with all the great breakthrough ideas and, sure. and they're the most innovative. So it's it has changed to your point. It's changed a lot over the course of my career. And, and for the most part, yes, I think I've been more drawn to people who sort of see and understand and maybe appreciate you know, the dynamics of, of working with a variety of different people that come from a variety of different places, and frankly, how that diversity creates a richer work experience. Definitely. And um, if you don't mind, I would love to hear your take on uh, Zenefits, the mission. And uh, yeah, I mean, just pretend we're new hires, we're getting ready to get started. Okay. Maybe we're uh, <laughs> new enterprise reps. Um, we're getting ready to yeah get started. Um we're, yeah, well, we're excited. It, it all starts really with our purpose. You know, Zenefits was both originally intended and still today is intended to not just level the playing field for small and medium-sized businesses, but frankly, to, to tilt the playing field in, in small businesses' favor. And that's a hard thing to do, given the fact that in today's world, it's just really hard, as you well know, it's, it's really hard to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are so many things that you have to contend with around managing a workforce from regulatory issues and compliance issues, uh, all of the tax and payroll uh, issues. Which are in flux, too. They're not, they're not right. constant. The goalposts are constantly yeah. moving. To stay with our football analogy, I mean, like the goalposts are just constantly moving. And so it's very difficult. Um, and they differ state by state. We've already run into these challenges where, I mean, we get, I don't know how much mail I get every single day and we're a team of. 15. Uh, right. And it's from every state that we've ever hired someone from. There's some type of process that's still going. It's crazy. And, Sorry. and as you get more successful, it only gets worse. Yes. It only gets more <laughs> difficult, right? So like there's no rest for the wicked. It's true. You know, so our purpose is really uh, rooted in being able to solve these kinds of problems for small and mid-sized businesses who don't have both the resources and the headcount and the capital to be able to go attack these problems. They, they have to rely on a partner like Zenefits right. to try to help them with all of their, you know, uh, HR and, and human capital management issues, their payroll and tax issues, as well as how do you connect sort of the entire employee record to employee benefits. And we live in a world now 
where increasingly I would submit that, you know, employee benefits is a huge part of the overall uh, platform that needs to be in place for any company, including really small ones. Agreed, yeah. So we've really worked hard at, at, at building this very tightly integrated, interoperable platform, a single code base that a customer knows that when they do business with Zenefits, you know, all of the applications are going to look and behave the same way. The employee experience is not going to be good. It's going to be phenomenal. You know, employees today, especially 80% of the workforce next year, is millennial and Gen Z. These these are workers that just expect applications to work on their phone. They expect them to be sort of logical and smart and, and easy to use, maybe even fun to use. And then they expect these applications to give them something back. It can't just be that they're, you know, having to interact with these applications for all the reasons that the company requires, but it's got to be a bilateral arrangement where they're getting something useful Definitely. out of their out yeah. of their use of those products. And and I know what I'm saying right now is 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 completely like, well, of course this is obvious, but the entire HR category does not work that way. It do, it does not we work that way. We compete with a bunch of yeah. companies that don't do that. And so we've been, I think, very unique and very differentiated in the, in the fact that we've built an employee experience that we think is just phenomenally innovative and and intuitive and that and that kind of changes the game around how companies think about building culture and and kind of building you know who and what they are and and basically pursuing their mission um you know one of the one of the things that I love the most about what customers tell me a lot of times is why they bought Zenefits. Uh, I ask that question pretty much everywhere I go, and I'm stopped a lot by by companies that either um, know me or recognize me or, or recognize my luggage or whatever. And I had a woman tell me uh, not so long ago that you know she and her CEO bought Zenefits because of what they thought buying Zenefits said about their company to their employees. And for me, that was a very, very strong, almost emotional it's a win. connection uh, around what we're trying to go do. And so that purpose is really critical. And if you guys were incoming sales guys coming <laughs> into our company, you got to feel that emotionally sure. and feel really convicted by kind of what our company is, what it's about, and frankly, what we're, what we're attempting to, to pull off. When you meet candidates or uh, aspiring young people who want to work in technology, what's your general either advice or, you know, what's a common refrain you hear from uh, young people these days? Yeah, I think in some ways I'm asked a lot about, um, so tell me how you kind of designed or architected your career. You know, they they sort of see a little bit of, of what I've been able to do and, and the opportunities that have kind of come my way. And I think that they wonder, you know, how did I think about sort of putting myself in position to be a three-time CEO to have worked in at least a couple, if not more, but a couple pretty iconic software companies, including two iconic founders, guys like Dave Duffield and Hustle Plotner. And usually my response might be somewhat deflating, at least at the first, which is um, I didn't have a plan. <laughs> you know, for me, it was kind of revealed. Um, yeah. And I don't mean to say that it's just completely you know, one of the one of those things that uh, is is ordained, or or that you know you don't have control over these things. Of course, you do to some degree, but I would also say you know don't obsess about the fact that you don't always understand what the next step is. I think I think be committed to a growth mindset. Yeah. Be learning. Choose great people to be around. 
when you're founding a company, especially be really smart about who you're co-founding the company with and who that first, you know, sort of um, generation of employees are. And, 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 you know, for me, I'm, I'm now um, seven companies in and I, I've got, I literally have employees here that have been with me throughout the entire ride. It's such a, it's such a privilege. First of all, I mean, it's, it's such a cool thing to have people that want to come together over and over and over again to create like incredible results. But I also will tell you, but I also feel a lot of pressure with it, Yeah, you know, because these people are, are first of all, very accomplished. They're very capable. They could literally be working anywhere, but they choose to do it here because they love the purpose. And in some ways they love each other. They love working with each other. And so that environment in some ways is sort of the underpinning of, of sort of the cultural thing that we've built. So having this notion of, of not being too, too fussed about the fact that you don't always know what the next step is going to be, but recognizing that the big thing here is to make sure that you're putting yourself in position to learn and grow and develop and feel like you're being challenged. Because I, I think then the next things sort of reveal themselves as you go. And another follow-up question I have is, how have you dealt in the past with getting to a place where you're out, clearly out of your comfort zone, uh, getting comfortable there, yep. and then, you know, reaching for the next plateau. Have you ever, you know, taken a couple steps back? Have you taken a sabbatical? Um, how have you found that uh, the yeah. right right place for learning? Great question. Very, very insightful question, because um, I think everybody does that maybe a little slightly differently. I know for me, I, I have tried to remind myself on a couple of different occasions that if I kind of have that queasy feeling like, oh man, am I really up for this? I should really pay attention to that intuition. And I should also recognize that it's a clear sign I should do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big, I know it's an old fashioned saying, but I actually, a lot of old fashioned sayings true. are old fashioned for a reason. It's because they're fairly true. Lindy effect. And, and, and exactly, exactly right. And one of the things I was just going to say is that typically, you know, when you look back on things, you don't really regret the things that you uh, that you didn't that you did do. Yeah. You, you sort of regret the things that you didn't, the things that you might have passed up on. Yeah. And so that uneasy, anxious feeling about some of these situations for me, I've really tried to train myself to listen to that, and frankly, to rather than you know uh, running away from the light, run to it. <laughs> and so uh, there's been a lot of examples of that for me. I've, I've had all kinds of opportunities where. In really early, you know, one of the, my my very first startup, we ended up having it be acquired by PeopleSoft. And at the time, I, I had prior to PeopleSoft done some time at SAP, and I don't mean done some time, but spent some time there at SAP and had a great time there. And and we had a lot of success. That's when SAP first came to North America. And when we sold the startup to uh, to PeopleSoft, I, I really, you know, it was kind of like, well, HR company, you know. The, they don't really build mission critical systems. They're not an ERP company yet. Of course, part of the reason they bought my startup was it was the first of a multi-step process to try to be something more than just an HR and eventually an HR and financials company. And what I came to find out really quickly was that in my in my youth and inexperience, I had somewhat of an arrogant feeling about about PeopleSoft that came to be completely not true. Yeah. Really smart company, really smart leadership. Dave and Anil and Peggy Taylor and and Al Duffield and 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 the board at PeopleSoft were were so generous with me in terms of giving me opportunities to fail, giving me opportunities to go do things. And throughout that time at PeopleSoft, I found myself, in, especially as I went from having, 
you know, 1,200 employees to 30,000 employees to 5,000, you know, I, I got bigger and bigger and bigger responsibilities. You know, those are anxious moments because I'm like, man, I'm 31 years old. This is, this is not a simple thing here. And, and do, am I really up for this? But the amount of the, the culture that PeopleSoft had put in place was around, we're going to win together. We're, we're going to fail together to the degree that we will fail, but we're not going to fail. We're going to find ways to help support not just me and what I was trying to do, but you know the team that I was developing. Suffice to say, right, we, we had a great run there. <laughs> um, the company did really, really well. I learned so much. And so I, I think just those, those moments where you know that you're being stretched to the absolute extent of your capability and knowing that at some point, hopefully you've got a system and, and, a, and a, a set of relationships and whatever else that are built around you that will see you through the, the challenging times. That's, I think that's kind of the secret to trying to kind of push the envelope on, on your career. Sure. And I'm curious, have there been any moments in your career where you noticed that you have relationship debt built up maybe with like the folks that you mentioned that have been with you all across seven different ventures? Um, when you do notice that you have kind of like a debt to pay in a relationship or maybe one that just needs, uh, you know, more, more time, um, how do you go about that? And how do you kind of keep tabs on your network to know where you're at? Cause it's, it's hard to know sometimes when you're doing so much where, where things are at with the team. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I think, I don't know that it's relationship debt, but I do think that I do spend a fair amount of time making sure that I've got a good understanding and a good pulse on kind of where everybody is and how things are going. You know, we as a group, but I specifically have not really, especially in the last 10 years or so, I haven't shied away from difficult things. Zenefits was in a difficult place when I first came into the company. And in some ways, it was precisely because it was in a difficult place and because there were so many smart people around the company who believed in the company, that combination was was actually pretty irresistible to me. But in order to pull off these kinds of things, it really requires that you have a good sense and signal system with with the people that you're relying on. And so it does rely, or it does, I should say, it does require being able to regularly um, not just have time, but you got to create time to check in with the team around how things are going, what are the challenges, where do you need help, what are we learning you know, how much experimentation are we doing? Because I find that it's that learning and experimentation thing that typically is at the root of all the breakthroughs. It's at the root of all the things that cause us to kind of go from one plateau to the next plateau in improving performance. Yeah. And and you won't ever know those things. You won't identify them <laughs> if you're not checking in with your crew and understanding like how things are going. Yeah. And especially with experiments too, um, some of the most talented people I've had an, uh, you know, the privilege to work with, they're not just running one experiment. They're running hundreds of different experiments totally. in their heads. And it's, it's hard to, sometimes you forget uh, after you've hung out with them or something like, wow, this person's brilliant. And uh, right. I just, you know, I didn't make the time. So when you're scheduling and, you know, planning out a quarter or anything like that, any, any tips there for, you know, are you, do you keep one day a week free? Um, any scheduling advice out there for aspiring executives? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think on this topic, right, there's sort of things at the individual level, there's things at the team level, there's even things at the organizational level that we try to do. One of the things that, that Zenefits is starting to get good at is we're starting to run 
you know, sort of uh, systemically or organizationally a certain number of experiments across everything that we do um, in pretty much every function. At the macro level, right, we're, as you said, we're probably doing hundreds of things simultaneously, but hopefully doing those in somewhat of a coordinated way because obviously it requires collaboration across the company. At the individual level, you know, for me specifically, what what I try to do is, you know, I try to make sure that I've got enough thinking time uh, spread out throughout the week. You know, for some that are listening to this, that may sound silly, but uh, if I wanted to, I could literally schedule myself actually for more hours than, than, than I actually have available. And that would not make me nearly as an effective leader as I need to be. And so there's, there's all kinds of topics that not only myself, but a lot of the senior leaders in our company need to spend time thinking about, talking mm-hmm. about, discussing, debating. And I, I, you know, what we try to do is, is to sort of debate like we're right and listen like we're wrong and, and see if we can't, you know, uh, get to a better, more sort of um, coordinated decision around what we think is going to be the best thing for, for us to, to do as a company. But that kind of requires, I think, I have to sort of structure my time and my calendar a little bit in order to be able to make sure that there's ample time to go do that. I think you have to have these, these intermittent opportunities to sort of take stock around all the different things that you're learning, all the things that you're hearing. In some cases, it's also some of the things that I'm always sort of in some form of research on different topics around products we should build, businesses we should kill, market segments that I think really are going to matter to us either today or, or tomorrow, uh, partnerships that are really interesting to us because we're we're a company that's known to have now a lot of, of really good partners in the space. And, um, and I'm sure that the ecosystem around the company is only going to get bigger. But all of that really requires some level of, of kind of thoughtful deliberation. You can't just be in the mode of, you know, if it feels good, do it. And so anyway, I, that's the way I kind of structure it for myself. In the early days where you were kind of maybe experimenting with more or less time thinking and deliberating, I'm curious, did you ever have, did you ever catch yourself feeling really guilty? for taking the time out to think when your team is, you know, for sure. in the trenches. Cause that's yeah. one of the hardest things I struggle with is, you know, you're obviously trading all the stuff you used to do for, for new tasks and you need time to think and all that good stuff. But there's definitely that element of I'm leaving my team behind on the front lines yeah. while I'm doing this. I, I mean, I totally, that resonates with me completely. Yeah. I, I'm a guy that I kind of pride myself on feeling like I lead from the front. And um, a lot of that means I'm talking to a lot of customers. I'm talking to a lot of people that impact our business all the time. And so to take a step back in some ways and to allow some of that to be happening in a more delegated way and, and where, you know, you know, the team is, is really involved in a lot of different things. And sometimes, especially in our business, right, there's even some seasonality to what we do where, you know, it's, it's sort of we're, we're entering in the fourth quarter, which is a fever pitch time. For those of us that are in the uh, in the HR benefits world, sure. And so, at times like that, yeah, sometimes it, it does feel a little bit like maybe I'm off in a corner trying to figure some things out, and uh, and you kind of you kind of feel like I don't want to spend too much time doing this because I feel like I need to get back into the fray with everybody. And you mentioned R and D. So, is there any place sources, books, or maybe some favorite sources you have right now where you're getting your uh new information from? Yeah, I, I think for me, um, it, there's a, a wide variety of, of stuff that I like to read and that I like to 
kind of assimilate into the way that we're thinking about how could we potentially do things differently here to get the outcomes that we're looking for. And so you just one recent example I would give you is um, I, I met and I think recently have become friends with the author of the company or, of a book called Prime to Perform. And uh, for anybody listening, I would really recommend for anyone that's interested in understanding better and more deeply how culture and performance are connected. It's a really cool book. Let me check it out. Um, yeah. And it's not real esoteric. And uh, it actually has a lot of frameworks in it that actually we're adopting in the way that we sort of run the company. And so it's really cool when you come across different books and different materials like that. I know for for entrepreneurs, this is in some ways it's it's the it's the golden age of like material that's out there for those that are really excited about starting a company. Yeah, there's so um, much that is not priced into the market where you encounter something and like there's academic papers I look at and it's like six people have read this online. Yeah, and I, just, you know, I, I get like so excited about that. A, a quick plug for a guy that doesn't need it <laughs> is one of my one of my investors and and a guy who's become a friend, Ben Horowitz. His his book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, is. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is must read kind of material for for any for any either current CEO of a startup or any wannabe CEO, uh, and it's one of the things I tell a lot of my people who are CEOs in waiting. You know, they believe that that's really the thing that they want to go do. You know, th- there's books like that that are out there that I think are really helpful, and they're 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 very. They're based in reality. They're based in in real stories. They're based in, you know, anecdotes that I think everyone can relate to. And yet the lessons are really clear and they're really helpful. And God, I would have loved to, to have had more of those materials in place 25 years ago. Now that you see that proliferation of new media, new materials, and just high quality information from operators out there, what do you think our economy is going to look like in 10 years? I, I, I do think we're kind of on the cusp of yeah. some type of potential golden age or catastrophe, you know, I kind of oscillate between the two. Where do you fall in on that? And where do you see the global economy going? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big, broad topic to try to predict a little bit about where things are heading. I, I think in, in some ways, right, what we can, we can use a little bit of history as a, as a, uh, a precursor to trying to figure out where things are going. You know, we've had several significant shifts over the course of the last several hundred years as the economies have sort of shifted from, you know, agricultural to industrial to um, more of a, a service economy uh, and I think the the service economy that we all sort of have grown up in over the course of the last, you know, 20, 30, 40 years uh, is going to shift yet again into at least what some are calling a solutions economy. You know, it's more of a problem solving economy. And so what I think we're going to see is more businesses and more business models that kind of look like that versus kind of the way that businesses sort of have both formulated and looked in this prior time frame. I think because of that, you're going to find that more and more of, you know, there's no telling, I should first say, when you have unemployment lower than GDP, than GDP, that's a really unusual dynamic, right? And so, you know, I think all of us are sort of hoping for the best, preparing for the worst related to sort of this near term, maybe next three to five years and what that looks like. And so in that kind of an environment where, in many ways, people feel the run that we've been on is already long overdue for a correction. It means that we've got to build companies that are resilient. We've got to build companies that have real business models that undergird them. 
And the business models themselves need to be, I think, uh, built on top of an operating model that is clear and understandable and, frankly, foundationally set around the culture you have in your business. I mean, one of the things, and it'll sound very self-serving to have an HR CEO uh, in the HR space talking about culture as being such an important strategic asset, but it just is. Definitely. It's just yeah. no longer true that culture is this amorphous thing that you can't define. It can be defined. And as we were saying when we started the 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 discussion, this notion of play and purpose and potential are are big topics that I think drive what kind of culture you have. And so all of these, all of these motives that drive, you know, really highly motivated workforces that drive great outcomes for these different businesses, that's going to be, I think, the thing that that begins to get dialed in way better in the next 20 years, 25 years than the way it's been the last 25 years. And that'll drive an economy that I think looks pretty different because I think these businesses will produce results that look different than what we've seen the last 25 years. I couldn't agree more. And with culture, it's very interesting because while you can copy it and people can mimic certain behaviors, um, they can't mimic them exactly, if that makes sense. So just by nature of it, it's almost like everybody gets to be pretty free to create the culture on their own or, you know, take an active part in it. And um, so when you have a company that's the size of Zenefits, I'm curious, how, how do you kind of keep tabs on on the culture. It seems like it's so big. You know, you joined at a, a pivotal time in the company's yeah. history. Any any tips there? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would share with you is that when I came into the company, uh, I specifically sort of addressed four specific things around culture, which I think really helped in some ways to kind of reset, you know, the company's culture and to reset a little bit about who we are and what we do and why it matters. The first thing is I, I made a conscious effort to make sure that we kept what works. Obviously, at the time prior to me coming into the company, before uh, the company had some compliance issues, this was the fastest growing SaaS company in history. And, and so there were some, obviously, some things that were going very right and, and some things that the company really got right. That being said, you know, the company in some ways was, was built for my liking, way too much around mercenary talent rather than missionary talent, people that are are really here and wedded to the mission and to the purpose of the company. And I think that, that either, either one of those dynamics, mercenaries or missionaries, leads you down a path that you may not intend down the road. And, and so, you know, one of the things that we did right as I, I first came in is, number one, I, I tried to keep all the things that were working. And the, the core ingredients around the business were really good. We had really good technology. We were really smart in understanding how employee, how important employee experience was going to be in, in the HR competitive battle, right? We're in a really frothy, I'd say fiercely competitive space. And yet, Zenefits made some bets around the way in which our products needed to work that are kind of unlike anybody else we compete with. And that was a really smart thing. But on the on the culture side, there were some other things that sort of needed to be addressed. So that led to the second thing I did was I tried to create some shifts around some very different, radical, different thinking. And that led to me cutting up some customer contracts, firing some customers. I also, you know, I, I, I right-sized our company substantially, right? We took out 420 employees my first week on the job, 
which was a pretty horrible week, but it, ha- it needed to happen. It had to happen. But this radical new shifts of thinking was really around establishing some new rules that the company really had never had in place around not all growth is good growth. Not every customer's the right customer for us. Not every contract is one we should take in. And that was, at least in the moment, that was pretty radical for Zenefits because we were on such a, man, every single customer and every single contract is the, is the thing that matters most. And so we really changed that pretty radically. The third thing was around bringing in a new leadership team. So I, I really quickly went to work on establishing and building and basically handcrafting a new leadership group. And by having new leaders in the company, you can just go faster. They don't have any baggage. There's no history. You know, one of the things I tell people all the time is nostalgia is a really bad thing in companies. So people pining Agreed. for the good old days or thinking about, and, and even though it might've felt like it was the good old days, almost never was it actually the good old days. Um, and instead, having everyone really focused on where we're going and the aspirational elements of what we want to achieve as a business. So the new leadership team was really pivotal in helping us to kind of change our frame of reference around stop looking in the rearview mirror and start looking through the windshield in terms of where we're headed. And then the fourth thing, and it's the thing that, you know, really this last two years or so has been, I think what has caused us to grow at 80% year over year for the third year in a row. Thanks is this notion of, of making sure every single decision we make is in concert with this culture we've built and in concert with you know, the values we have as a company. And, and that takes a, a little bit of discipline. It takes a little bit of rigor. It means that you know, certain partnerships aren't going to be the right ones for us. It means saying no to certain commercial opportunities. It, it, you know, it, it, it does require at times a certain, a certain level of perseverance and stick to in terms of what you've established as the model by which you want to run the company. But anyway, those four steps were really critical to really changing from Zenefits 1.0 to whether this is 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever. But it's this is a this is a a, a decidedly different company than it was three or four years ago. Jay, thank you so much for being generous with your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, this is a fun interview. Are there any final thoughts or maybe thought experiments or challenges you'd like to leave for our listeners? I don't know about any thought experiments, but I think, you know, for the most part, the, the thing I might just leave everybody with is we all have an obligation, I think, to continue to make our industry better and to leave customers in a better place. And I know for me, the software industry hasn't necessarily always done a good job of raising the bar in terms of what we're providing customers, in terms of how reliable and dependable we are as tools and as applications that they rely on to run their business. And so just the thing that I would just say is that it'd be really cool over this next 10 years if we're all building companies and if we're all building sort of thought leadership capability that helps us figure out how do we keep raising the bar. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we all have to come together, create the culture. Otherwise, it's not going to create itself. Yeah. Um, Jay, this was an honor. I uh, really enjoyed it. And to everyone listening, we'll see you next time. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org slash studios. 
If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.